Welcome to Mazum Gumzo, African Scholarly Conversations, a podcast that highlights the perspectives of various stakeholders in academia and research fields across Africa through open dialogue on Mazum Gumzo on scholarly communication in Africa. Today's episode features an engaging session on the influence of university rankings on African research visibility by Joy Owango of TCC Africa, Lisa Boni from the University of Johannesburg, Dennis Webstock from the University of Johannesburg, and Professor Ahmed Bauer. Welcome everybody. Good afternoon from Nairobi, Kenya. Good morning if you're in New York. Uh, good afternoon wherever you are in the world. My name is Joy Owango. I'm the executive director of the Training Center in Communication. And this is a center based at the University of Nairobi in uh, Chiromo campus, which is the College of Biological and Physical Sciences. And uh, I'm here in collaboration with Knowledge E, our research capacity partner based in the Emirates in Dubai. And today we are going to talk about the influence of university rankings on research, on African research visibility. Now, as we are getting into this important webinar, we need to understand that one of the impacts of globalization in higher education is the creation and the rise of global rankings and its effect on a competitive nature of universities as we know it. Rankings have also influenced universities on the strategic decisions they make in regards to how they use the results to increase their visibility, attract top talent, funding, if you're looking at national and international, and also collaboration. The increased use and dependency on rankings has also been a contributor to defining what entails a world-class university, particularly with a focus on research output, which is used as, an as one of the indicators to measure and evaluate a university's performance. Rankings are a, are a consequence of the rise of neoliberalism, which brought about a paradigm shift in the way universities and institutes uh, of higher education justify their existence. Universities have transitioned from open inquiry and debate into a competitive corporate nature and culture where competition is rife, uh, uh, is rife with an emphasis on measurement of outputs identification of key performance indicators being used to audit uh, academic performance. With this in mind, it is imperative to understand how, how are we able to take advantage of this, um, of this uh, trend in, uh, on, on, high, on, uh, on, uh, on, uh, on rankings of universities in supporting um, the academic institutions in sub-Saharan Africa on how they can improve their research visibility and how they can use that to, to increase they, are not, they can use that also to support in increasing their output, but most importantly, using the rankings to give them the opportunity to be competitive, not only within the continent, but also competing with the global north. With funding being limited, one of the ways in which uh, universities have to to attract funding is by performance. And rankings is one of the ways in which can be used to monitor the performance of a university. Without further ado, um, we are going to get into the workshop itself and we have amazing speakers with us. So we have Professor Ahmed Bauer 
from Universities South Africa, which is the umbrella body for all universities. And we have Dr. Denise Webstock uh, from the University of Johannesburg and Ms. Miss Lisa Bonet, also from the University of Johannesburg. As we as they are getting into the as we are getting into the webinar proper, I'm going to uh, give further introduction on who they are and what they are doing for their respective institutions. And the reason why we've chosen South Africa be is because South Africa has the universities in South Africa have arguably taken advantage of rankings and have used that to be competitive within the country and also with within the continent. So they are a very good case study to teach us on what needs to be done to improve our, uh, to understand some of the, the lessons they've gone through in preparing for rankings and why rankings is important and why it is being heavily supported also by the government. That is why we also have University South Africa as the umbrella body. It's been supported by the government in making sure that institutions take advantage of these, uh, of these ranking um, institutions. But most importantly is also understanding what should an institute do in order to, to get into any of the rankings? What kind of best practice should they be aware of in terms of improving their research output, in terms of increasing their visibility, understanding what the rankings are looking for, and if these rankings meet also the criteria and the and the, the needs of, the, of, the, of their respective institute. So without further ado, we are going, I'm going to hand over to Sophie. Uh, who is uh, part of the technical team from Knowledge E and is going to take us? Uh, who is going to take us through the polling, the uh, the polls which have been the questions which have been sent out to you, so that they can be answered in the poll. So, Sophie, over to you. Thank you very much, Joyce. So I will now launch uh, the poll, and you should be able to see the questions on your screen. And I will hand back over to you, Joy. All right, Samantha. Next slide. Good. As, as, we are, as we are getting into the polling, uh, as we are answering the questions into the poll, so my co-host is Miss, Mrs. Samantha Miles. She's the head of training and consulting in Knowledge E. And she also has a background in higher education management. So she's right in the thick of supporting universities on how they can improve their their they can improve their, their, their research output and increase their visibility, particularly also when it comes to using rankings and how they can, they can understand the best practice on understanding on what um, rankings they can use to support their respective institutions. So more about TCC. So the Training Center in Communication, as I earlier said, is based at the University of Nairobi. We are a trust, and over the last 15 years, some, next Samantha, we have been supporting, training, and empowering researchers in sub-Saharan Africa on how they can improve their research output and improve their and increase their visibility through scholarly and science communication. Over the last Last 15 years, we've trained over 9,300 researchers. We've worked in over 80 institutes. We've worked in over 40 countries. We are an award-winning institute, and we have a membership, um, uh, a mentorship program of over 900 researchers. These are early career researchers in from two continents. Now, the objective of us getting involved in this webinar is because it falls heavily under our scholarly communication component of training, whereby research output is one of the basis needed basic is one of the basis is, is the basis that will support 
support a university in improving its, uh, its research visibility with the ripple effect of also increase uh, of also best best performance in rankings. So if you're looking at as from a scholarly communication, if a university is able to produce good quality uh, publications, publish in, in uh, reputable journals, even if it is open science journals, the ripple effect will be on visibility. With the visibility, you end up seeing you end up seeing uh, a support system whereby it is also visible in terms of rankings. But this is just one of the, in, uh, the aspects that will support a university in making sure that it is able to compete actively within the ranking system or even take part in the rankings. So without further ado, we felt that this was really important for us to take, to be involved, uh, to, uh, as an institute to take to be involved in this webinar and this is a part of a series of webinars that we are going to be hosting in sub-saharan africa so without further ado i'd like to introduce miss samantha uh mrs samantha uh, miles who is going to talk more about knowledge hi so uh good afternoon for everybody who's joining us thank you so much joy for that wonderful introduction and i will be very brief so it's essentially a knowledge's pleasure to be partnering with tcc and our wonderful guest speakers for today's webinar thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of it uh, as joy had mentioned we are a company based out of dubai and joy you said a word that uh, we love this is music to our ears you said world-class universities because ultimately you know if we think about rankings they should be measurement of world-class universities. And we know that's not about just playing a rankings game where you say, okay, this is the metric. So how can we align to this metric? It's ultimately about producing students who are able to contribute economically to your, uh, to your country, who are capable graduates. It's about promoting a more knowledgeable world about uh, scientific inquiry and producing research and all of those pieces that go into it. So it's not a one-stop shop. It's holistically, how do you take that approach? And so our our company is called Knowledge. We're headquartered out of Dubai, and we essentially take this approach with our partners, which is a three-part approach, which is discover, develop, and disseminate. So discover involves access to scholarly content from around the world so that you can support your research initiatives. Develop, because people are at the heart of any success, no matter what is your industry, and we especially know that this is true in terms of developing knowledge economies. You have to have uh, capable researchers, professors, university leaders, and so training and consulting goes into that. And then finally, dissemination. We also have a, a bespoke publishing uh, division of our company. So that's what we do in a nutshell, but enough about us. I think everybody is really interested to hear from our guest speakers and their perspective. So uh, we're very keen to hear from them as well too. And thank you again for, for allowing Knowledge to be part of this initiative. Okay. So thank you so much, Samantha. Now, uh, we have a great support team who are in the back end. Uh, making sure that everything runs smoothly. So we have uh, Sophie and Karina who are, who are supporting us and also they will be helping us collate the questions which we'll, we'll be able to answer during the question and answer session. Now, Zoom features. So these are just the basic uh, housekeeping notes. So um, they, you hold on one second. So, so one of the things that you need, we are, there's a survey that is being done. So you're going to, we are going to share with you the results of the survey. And if we are talking too fast, please slow, raise your hands and we will slow down. And also do note that the question answer question, uh, the question and answers can be put in the question and answer uh, uh, 
tab and also in the chat. Either we will be able to, 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 to get all of them. And also, if you feel free to, to share your greetings and any technical issues in the chat, and I've seen you've started doing that as well. Samantha? Now, let's get started by checking the results. Sophie, what have you got? Yes, so I will now end the poll. So you should see the pop-up on your screen. Please let me know if not, I'm sharing the results right now. So Fantastic. can you see them, Joy? Yes, I can. Thank you so much. We got 14% uh, of the of the of of you responded uh, said that you want you are not you you understand uh, your your position has a direct a strategic influence on uh, the university on on the university ranking and also uh, two percent say that your primary responsibility is is. Uh, is to be involved in supporting the strategic decision in the university rankings. And then we noted that 56% of you noted that you also contribute uh, other responsibilities such as teaching and research to your, to your university ranking as well. So this is pretty much what is your role in relation to university rankings. And 35% of you said that you do not contribute at all and 2% do not know whether they are, they are act directly or indirectly involved in, um, in their, their roles are directly or indirectly involved in relation to university rankings. Then the second question was, what university ranking institutions do you know? So 35% said QS, 77% uh, said Times Higher Education, 42% said uh, gave other options as well. And the third question was, uh, was do you think that do you think better university rankings will help African research visibility? Interesting. Eighty-eight percent said yes. So the webinar is on time. And seven percent said no. Two percent said uh, maybe. And seven percent said uh, they are not sure. But we have a majority of you saying that there is that university rankings will help in uh, increasing the research visibility of, uh, of the universities. Um, Dorothy, QS is one of the ranking institutions and uh, the name is in French. I've forgotten the name, but then it's known as the QS rankings and uh, it's in the same uh, level as the Times Higher Education ranking. So it's just one of the, the ranking institutions as well that a university can choose if they want to work with to rank their performance. Uh, the next slide, please. Now, our agenda. We are getting into the webinar itself and we are going to begin with Professor Ahmed Bawa. Then we'll, it will be followed by Dr. Denise Webstock, the Senior Director of the University of Johannesburg. They'll be, she'll be sharing her slides with Ms. Lisa Bonet, who is the institutional researcher of the University of Johannesburg. Now, the reason why, we, as I said, the reason why we are starting with South Africa in this webinar is primarily because it is the country that took advantage of one of the leading countries in Africa that took advantage of university rankings. And University South Africa has been really encouraging universities in that in, in, in South Africa to take advantage of rankings. And it's really at the end of the day, 
for the, the best interest of the institute, because it, there is, it means that you have to invest in your research output. You have to make deliberate investments on the performance of the, of the, inst of the institute. Thank you, Frederick. It is Quarantali Simmons. That's what QS is. So you have to make deliberate decisions on how you can improve the research output coming out of your university, because the ripple effect is not only in performing well in the rankings, but it also means that you'll be able to attract collaborators. You'll end up, you'll end up attracting top students, okay? Whether it's nationally or, or from a Pan-African perspective. And this is the reason why we took advantage of this webinar series beginning with South Africa. And in essence, we are, we are seeing participants from Southern Africa. So that is also a plus for us. So more about Professor Bauer. Professor Bauer is the CEO of University South Africa, and prior to his uh, him uh, to his position uh, to his uh, uh, appointment as the CEO, he was the Vice Chancellor and Principal of Durban University of Technology. He has an interest in the understanding of universities as social institutions and the relationship between science and society. He sits on quite a number of international higher education boards and he's also a theoretical physicist by training. So over to you, Professor Bauer. Thank you so much, Joy, and uh, thank you so much for this invitation. And it's, it is a, a kind of a, a timely discussion, I think, because so much of this discussion is taking place in South Africa as well, and uh, globally as well, I believe. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, the big question is the question that you posed, I think, which was that, you know, that, uh, you know, it, it, it is the system that we have university rankings, uh, is it one that's suitable uh, for universities on our continent? So I'm very pleased to be sharing this panel with uh, Denise Webstock and Lisa Bonet, because uh, in fact, they are, so very much on the ground, kind of really addressing the issue of the um, of the rankings and and University of Johannesburg has been in fact one of our breakthrough institutions, um, and that has uh, and so it's really important to have them on a panel like this. But at the same time, uh, I thought that what I would do today is um, is to provide some kind of. Uh, to, is to problematize, if you like, you know, the university ranking system, uh, and just to try and see how we can uh, build an approach to these rankings, which uh, works best for our system. Um, so, so I, I've just titled this, you know, intended and unintended consequences, and I think that uh, what one would see, in fact, is that um, you know, university rankings are first of all. Let me just say that universities, by definition, are uh, intensely local and intensely global, right? Uh, uh, rankings, uh, as we know them at the moment, are very much a kind of uh, a kind of an international phenomenon. Uh, they kind of rank universities across the system, uh, although they are kind of local and regional, uh, kind of national and regional ranking systems. Uh, but the ones that we participate in are mainly kind of uh, international in nature. And of course, the fact that universities are both uh, local and global uh, because they are sort of research intensive institutions uh, makes it important for us then to, uh, to look at uh, universities in the global context. Um, 
and, and, and I think that one of the things that I want to sort of argue is how do we kind of build into that uh, the, a, a better understanding of the issues around uh, their local uh, contextualization, if you like. Um, so just very briefly, you know, just to say that there are vast shifts that are taking place globally. Um, and just to give you a sense of this, you know, that there are massive geo changes in geopolitics and economics. Uh, you know, who would have imagined just a few years ago that, uh, you know, one of the biggest partners of universities in South Africa was going to be universities in Asia. You know? uh, you know, so much of the emphasis in the past had been with universities in uh, Europe and in uh, North America, uh, but that is changing dramatically. Uh, so, this, uh, so in terms of the impact on universities, uh, this shift in geopolitics is having a very significant uh, impact, if you like. The second is, uh, is the geopolitics of knowledge. Uh, so just to say that a few years ago, again, you know, had we asked, you know, where is the center of gravity of knowledge in the world, we would have said that it's somewhere in the, in the North Mid-Atlantic, if you like, you know, somewhere between kind of Northern Europe, uh, Europe at least, and uh, North America. And that's, you know, that's where the center of gravity was. Of course, that has changed dramatically over the last, uh, uh, over the last 10 years or so. Um, just to say that, you know, by 2030, it's expected that our continent will have 20% of the world's population. In fact, by 2050, uh, the expectation is that, that we'll have a 45% share of the world's population. So that has enormous consequences for the way in which we think about our universities. Of course, we can't ignore the impact of this new technological moment that we are in. It's very much uh, on the agenda and everybody's talking about it. Uh, but what we are also seeing is uh, kind of a slide towards anti-intellectualism uh, and its paraphernalia. You know, if you get, if the, you know, if you have the president of one of the most powerful countries in the world, you know, uh, kind of uh, uh, being a kind of a climate denier, I'm talking about Donald Trump, of course, uh, or, you know, encouraging people to kind of, uh, uh, you know, to look at uh, a kind of non-scientific approaches to, so if that can be done at the presidential level, one can imagine uh, just what else is happening, uh, you know, in, 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 in global, in the global knowledge terrain, if you like, in terms of anti-intellectualism uh, and all of its paraphernalia. And of course, there's all the race and gender dialectics that are taking place around the world. And in particular, of course, uh, in South Africa, of course, we had, uh, 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 we are continue to have uh, enormous kind of co conversations around race and gender. But of course, globally, there's the Black Lives Matter, uh, the Me Too movement, uh, the, the uh, uh, slave reparations issues, all of these issues are on the table. And, and the big question for me is, you know, is, is our continent going to be a player or a pawn as we head into this new era? Are we going to be in a position to influence things? Um, and, and, and this is where, of course, uh, higher education comes in. And uh, of course, then we have to talk about the ranking systems and so on. Uh, this is just to say, you know, that we have, we've had two major disruptions in South Africa, and of course, around the world too. Uh, but uh, we had uh, between 2015 and 2017, uh, two sort of 
you know, really magnificent kind of student kind of activism uh, kind of events, if you like, you know, the, the fees must fall and roads must fall campaigns, which has really reshaped the way in which we think about uh, think about uh, higher education. And then secondly, of course, we've all experienced uh, the impact of COVID-19 and the way in which it has it is reshaping higher education. Uh, and, and the thing in South Africa, at least, the thing that this raises, the, these events, these disruptive events uh, raise is, is, is kind of posing the question, you know, what is the purpose of universities as social institutions? Uh, who owns the universities? What are their publics? Uh, uh, and what is their relationship with their publics and so on? And I raise this because uh, at the same time that we are engaging in these very uh, significant uh, you know, global rankings kind of processes. There are also major enterprises going on within our society, uh, which is kind of challenging us to kind of rethink the place of universities in society. And the big question, of course, is, you know, will that be reflected in the way that we consider uh, our participation in the ranking systems? Uh, so, and, and of course, you know, the one thing that we've all experienced, I think, is uh, just the extent to which uh, the, the pressure on universities has, has led to some kind of breakdown of a social compact, you know, uh, with students, for example, uh, kind of accusing universities of uh, contributing to the deeply iniquitous societies that, uh, that we are, contributing to further deepening uh, those uh, inequities. Uh, and, and the big question really is, you know, is this a moment for us to rethink the role of universities in society? Um, of course, with regard to rankings in South Africa, uh, there's no question about the fact that universities that were designed as research universities tend to do better. So University of Cape Town, University of Witwatersrand, University of Stellenbosch, University of Pretoria, University of KwaZulu-Natal, uh, these are institutions that were designed as research universities. They were kind of, they were funded in that way and so on, and clearly they do better. Uh, and of course, they reflect the historical record, right? And South Africa has had a very divided history. I mean, so, uh, so what we are seeing in, in essence is those universities emerging as uh, kind of key players in the rankings systems. Um, having said that, we are also now seeing some breakthrough institutions. So University of Johannesburg is one very good example of that. Uh, uh, just very recently, uh, Durban University of Technology kind of emerged very high in the Times Higher Education uh, ranking system, Times Higher Education ranking system. And that, of course, is a, a singular kind of breakthrough, I think. It's a really important breakthrough because it's an indication that universities, uh, without necessarily yet being a significant kind of research players, uh, are in fact able to kind of now make progress uh, through this, these ranking systems, if you like. Um, USAF, University of South Africa, the organization that I work at, uh, pays attention to the whole system. Uh, and all 26 public universities and the private institutions, all of them are central to the national mission. So, you know, uh, the big question for us, of course, const constantly is, you know, is there a way to design a system that really pays attention to the different missions of the different institutions in that national system, if you like? 
Uh, and that's a very big issue and one that we haven't resolved yet. Um, and, and I think that, you know, one of the things that we have to pay attention to uh, in all of our systems is the need for us to think about differentiation, uh, producing a differentiated system with institutions having different missions, but kind of being complementary to each other. And of course, the ranking systems do that to some extent. Um, and I just, I, th I thought I'll also just ma uh, mention here uh, that very often these ranking systems don't actually measure the primary activities of the majority of the institutions. Uh, many of our institutions are teaching intensive and they, you know, they don't actually feature well in the, in the ranking systems for obvious reasons, because there's so much of emphasis on uh, internationalization, research, and so on. Um, in, in terms of public opinion and so on, there's an ambivalence. You know, on the one hand, uh, because of our divided past, uh, you know, it's not surprising that uh, there are many people who feel that the ranking systems simply impose further inequities on our system. Uh, and on the other hand, you know, if the University of Cape Town drops by two or three kind of uh, two or three positions on the international rankings, there's a you know huge outcry <laughs> in the public outcry. So there's an ambivalence, if you like, with regard to the ranking systems, it seems to me. Uh, I was going to talk about this a little bit, but it's just to say that uh, you know there, there are many kind of, uh, 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 what would you call it, imaginations of universities. And, uh, and not all of those kind of really play into the way in which we think about the ranking systems. Yeah. So the big question, it seems to me, for us at least on our continent is to ask ourselves, you know, just what is the purpose of engaging in rankings? Uh, we have to get that right, it seems to me. We have to ask ourselves why, uh, you know, wh why are we sort of engaging in, rank in the ranking systems? Um, and clearly one of the issues uh, has to do, and Samantha pointed this out, is really to benchmark against other universities, uh, to improve global exposure, uh, to try and ensure that uh, our universities are not slipping against the global players. Uh, that, that they, as I mentioned earlier, that they help to produce a differentiated picture of the national systems. Uh, and perhaps uh, most importantly, of course, they can contribute to improving the quantity and quality of outputs that are measured. Uh, and, and I think that that's a, you know, that last point, it seems to me, is the critical one because uh, we have to problematize that as well. That, that we don't just simply slip into a kind of a, 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 a global system uh, which kind of tears us away from our local context, if you like. So it's really about saying uh, we have to come to grips with what the purpose is of engaging in the ranking system. Um, so we have to ask, you know, what is measure, measure, measured? And of course, what that means is we have to ask what is not measured. So, you know, it's really about asking uh, these difficult questions, you know, do international comparisons make sense? Uh, should we be engaging in international comparisons? Uh, um, uh, you know, does what is measured make sense? You know? So for example, in South Africa, I think we all have to agree in South Africa, universities have a huge role to play in building a more socially just society. Uh, do the rankings actually 
take that into account, if you like. Um, and, and then, of course, the critical question, you know, just to what extent, uh, you know, is the uh, philosophy designed for Northern templates rather than for global ones? Um, and of course, the critical issue, of course, uh, around all of this is uh, uh, to what extent do these comparisons pose the danger of skewing the purpose of institutions? So, you know, universities that are uh, meant to be teaching intensive universities that want to make progress on the ranking scale, do they kind of then skew their purpose to get uh, to that position, if you like? Uh, of course, as you mentioned, Joy, there are many ranking systems and each one kind of measures different things. Right? Uh, they measure different characteristics of universities. So that's a big question. You know, which ranking systems do we engage with? They use different data sets. <laughs> they access data in different ways. Uh, some of them are much more qualitative than they are quantitative and vice versa. The majority of them are much more quantitative. Uh, and so they kind of miss out on the qualitative data. Then the big question is, is the data reliable? You know, uh, how are they kind of testing the efficacy of the, uh, the efficacy of the data sets that are being used? So, um, and, and then we have to ask ourselves, what is the purpose of each of them? Uh, do they kind of serve the kind of purpose that we need for uh, ranking systems? And of course, there's some unintended consequences, right? So, uh, one of them, of course, is producing sort of competitions, competitions as universities within the same system, if you like. Now that can be healthy, but it can also be really unhealthy, right? That universities kind of shape themselves in such a way as to kind of just make progress within a single system. So the big question is, you know, uh, what does FITS have to do to overtake, uh, to overtake UCT? You know, uh, and UJ now, of course, is making a run, you know, so, uh, how, you know, how do the other universities relate to that and so on? Uh, the big question for me, of course, is, you know, just to what extent do the rankings kind of impact on the shape, size, and structure of universities? And we can have a chat about that later on. Um, so, for example, you know, it's, it's known that business schools are important uh, for in the ranking systems. Now the question is, uh, should universities establish business schools because they are in the rankings? They want to make headway in the ranking systems. Uh, and then, I, of course, I raised the question about the efficacy of data sets. You know, is it skewing the way? Ah, does the ranking system skew the way in which universities provide data? Uh, and how are those ranking systems uh, accessing data and testing the data? And so on? One of the big challenges we face is the issue around uh, labor, that these ranking systems shape a kind of the labor market absorption, that they kind of really skew the national funding models. And, and Joy, you mentioned that actually, that, you know, that uh, very often in South Africa, you know, one, what one sees, of course, is that there's just a further exacerbation of the existing inequalities on the basis that some universities are highly rated and others are not and so on. And one of my major concerns uh, about this, and we have to be careful about this, is that they can lead to further fragmentation of the national post-school education and training system. So, um, so you know, what I would like to suggest is that we begin to return to some, return to basics, if you like, when we think about the ranking system. Um, 
so, and, and, and one of those is really to kind of focus in on what is the purpose of universities. And I'm not going to go through this because we all know this, but you know, it's about creating engaged citizens. It's about nation building. It's about uh, building uh, bridges across societies. It's about addressing the global challenges and so on. Uh, and of course, it's about building sort of new cohorts of engaged intellectuals. Uh, it's about building critical skills and skepticism, uh, building you know, systemic thinking and so on. But you know, we can talk about each of these, uh, but this is really at the heart of what universities should be doing. Um, and, and I think that the, one of the dangers we face, and I'm not going to spend time on the slide, but just to say it's a very dense slide, by the way, although it's just a few things. Uh, but one of the things, one of the dangers, one of the grave dangers we have, <laughs> excuse me, is that uh, the ranking systems might actually uh, decontextualize universities, take universities out of their context. Uh, and, and there's a whole debate that needs to take place about that. Uh, and I'm going to skip the slide because I really don't want to hog the time. But just to say that, sorry, just to say that there's a need for universities to really be locally contextualized uh, and to enter the global knowledge system on the basis that they are on the basis of the knowledge they are producing uh, about the uh, about the local context, if you like. And and it seems to me that the you know, that since they are social institutions, that there's a need for us to think about them kind of contributing to improving the quality of life in the cities and the regions and nationally. Uh, and the big question then is how do rankings fit into this? Uh, I'm not going to spend time on this, but just to say that I think that there's a growing argument that high education systems around the world should really be kind of developing strong social justice kind of rubrics, if you like. This is emerging not just in South Africa, which is, happens to be one of the most unequal societies in the world, but it's also emerging in places like the USA. Uh, strong arguments being made that there's a need to kind of shape uh, kind of social justice rubrics that will help universities to, to, uh, to, to work through this very difficult time that we are in. Uh, so just some concluding remarks then, Joy, and, uh, and I, uh, I think that there's a need to understand the purpose of enga engaging in rankings. Uh, you, 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 in fact, did lay out some of those, and I think that it's important to engage with those, uh, those issues. Uh, we have to understand what the purpose of the different ranking systems are, um, and we have to think very hard about the, uh, the issue of unintended consequences. So, uh, we have to think about the influence on future directions and whether those future directions are the ones that best fit uh, the context in which we, the contexts in which we are. Uh, then we have to talk about the indigenization of those ranking systems. Should we be thinking about ways in which we can get them to work better for our contexts? Uh, and then finally, uh, you know, what is the impact on social ownership of our universities? And, you know, to what extent does this enhance or does it take away, if you like, uh, public ownership or social ownership of our institutions? Joy, thank you so much. I hope that that was useful and uh, hope that there'll be some uh, opportunity for discussion. So thank you so Joy, much. 
Oh, yes. Thank you so much, Professor Bauer. And you've brought to fore some of the concerns that um, most African universities um, raise when it comes to rankings. They tend to be Global North-centric. The contextualization uh, from a Global South perspective is not considered. Coming from a continent that has over 2,000 uh, languages and uh, some of the research is also done in indigenous languages like let's say in, in South Africa we have Africans in Nigeria we have Igbo Ethiopia we have Amharic uh, we have situations where um, the mere fact that the, the 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 research is published in the indigenous language it is not calculated because it's not in English so there are so many factors that need to be considered when uh, uh, African institutions are are uh, choosing ranking institutions, but at the same time, we cannot ignore the fact that it is a higher education trend and uh, we need to see them accommodating various indicators that would also be friendly to, to institutions in the global south. So if you're looking at open science, as I had mentioned, as you had also mentioned, we need to have clear understanding on what how do they collect this data? Are they uh, mostly, is it data that is mostly quantitative or are we looking at qualitative data? What other parameters are they looking at beyond just research output? Are we looking at teaching? Are we looking at percentage to which you have PhD students to, to lecture us? So all these need to be put in, this need to be factored, but also at the same time, universities need to look at the various ranking institutions. As when I began this webinar, I said there are over a hundred ranking institutions. The ones we know are the top ranking institutes, you know, like QS, the Times Higher Education. But you need to go through these ranking institutions and see what best, what works best for your institute and you rank your, your institute based on what they, the indicators that they provide that would be suitable for your institute as well. So we are getting into the heart of the matter. We want to see what does it take for a university to prepare itself for ranking? What kind of investment does a university have to make from uh, the researchers to the leadership in the university in making sure that they are able to take part in rankings, but also take part actively in this. And in our next session, we are going to have uh, two speakers, they're going to share their slides and they're from the University of Johannesburg. It's, it's, they've got a very interesting history, which Dr. Denise Webstock is going to share with us. And to begin the session will be uh, Denise and Dr. Webstock is a senior director of, uh, senior director of the Division of Institutional Planning uh, evaluation and monitoring at the University of Johannesburg. Uh, the division is responsible for monitoring the performance of the university, data governance, ranking submissions, and institutional research. She was previously the director of monitoring and evaluation at the Council on Higher Education in South Africa. So uh, Dr. Webster and Ms. Lisa Bonet, whom I'm going to introduce uh, later is are going to take us through the experience that they had to go through. Actually, let me just introduce Lisa because they'll be doing it at the same time. So the next speaker will be after Denise Webstock will be Miss Lisa Bonet, who is an institutional researcher within the division of institutional planning, evaluation, and monitoring at the University of Johannesburg. She holds a master's degree in computational and applied mathematics from the University of Witwatersrand. 
Lisa is responsible for various institutional research projects, including the university rankings portfolio. Now, we've already got an overview of why rankings is important from a Pan-African perspective, from a national perspective. Now we need to understand what does it take for a university to what kind of investment do they have to make in order to start getting into the rankings? What kind of support systems do they have to invest in for their researchers so that they can be involved in this process? What effects does it have also on the researchers as well? So to begin with, we are going to have uh, Dr. Webstock, who is going to take us through the history of University of Johannesburg and the experience that they've gone through the, the rankings, the good, the bad, and what we need to learn from that, uh, from that process. Because it's good to know what universities are doing. Instead of looking at it from outside, it's work. It takes a lot of work to appear in either the Times Higher Education or QS or any university ranking. It, in, it means that you have to work closely with, uh, with, the, with the researchers and the leadership and making them understand that why it is important to invest in certain aspects, especially aspects that might that will help them in improving their research output and visibility and with the ripple effect of what of performing very well within the rankings. So without further ado, I would like uh, Dr. Denise Webstock to take over and she will start with giving us an overview of the history of the University of Johannesburg and what they are doing in making sure that they are working closely with their researchers in making sure that they perform very well within the rankings. Dr. Webstock. Thank you very much, Joy. Um, and good afternoon to everybody and good morning to Professor Bauer. Um, it's good to see you again. Um, Professor Bauer, you raised a whole lot of very deep and very complex issues. And I have to say that we are aware of all of those. But my university at the University of Johannesburg, I'm relatively new there. Perhaps I'm still seeing it with rose-tinted glasses or maybe they're orange-colored glasses because everything at UJ is orange. Um, but I admire the university for its ambition because it is not one of the, what you called the universities designed as a research university. Um, but it has nonetheless chosen very deliberately to appear on the ranking systems. And we'll have more of that later, but maybe a little bit about the university. And I'm not going to go into great detail on the history, but just a few contextual issues to situate it. So the University of Johannesburg um, was formed from the merger of what we in South Africa understood as technicons or technical colleges, universities, and a very much a, an Afrikaans university, which had suffered clearly from the cultural boycott was quite insular. So starting from that base, we did not have a very deep research culture and nor were we designed to have one because we were set up to be a comprehensive university. Our comprehensive university in South African understanding was one that was designed to offer a plethora of kinds of programs from diplomas, a whole range of things. It was not a research intensive institution. Nonetheless, um, the, the new leaders of um, UJ set out very deliberately to 
be ambitious and have a strategy and the one of the six pillars of which was to focus on research and building a research portfolio because our vision is, although we are, and we understand it as being completely located and rooted and anchored in Africa, we wanted to be able to look outward and be able to influence a global conversation from that vantage point. And we thought, how can you do that if you don't actually produce new knowledge that is rich in its context, but that can contribute to a global conversation? So in our strategic plan all over, you will see that there are um, ambitions to, I think it was probably in about 2009, 2013, somewhere around there, the ambition was to see that UJ would consistently be in the top six ranked institutions in the South African context by 2025. And we are pretty much there. Um, and that does not happen in and of itself. It's a deliberate strategy. And some of that I will speak to. Now coming to my first slide, um, I thought perhaps to give you just a little bit of a, an understanding of why it's important to have, and, and Professor Bauer alluded to this as well, um, to have a, a national context that actually supports research. That's really very important because without that, it becomes a very difficult if you're an institution on your own. And by that, we mean a system of accreditation of, of journals, providing subsidy for research and funding schemes that also you can draw on. Um, as an institution to support your research agenda. So we're very lucky in that we have the National Department of Higher Education and Training. And this is quite important that they provide a list of the journals that, are, that they will accredit. And when we publish in those, there will be subsidy um, accrued. Um, and it also draws on the international databases. And we put in the link there because even though I think it's useful for different contexts because it draws on a variety of databases to say, if you're going to publish, try to publish in one of these journals because it will stand you in good stead. Um, it draws on the Elsevier Scopus database, which is in the Times Higher Education um, uh, School of, of Ranking Systems and Clarivate's Web of Science as well. Then, of course, we also have some national institutions like the National Research Foundation, which helps with funding for research. But it's also important to look for research in private um, funders, industry, etc. Those generally are the main and big drivers of research in South Africa. Now, coming to UJ. Um, well, not so much, UJ. These are the lessons that we would actually want to impart from our case study, more or less. So if you're going to have a strategy to improve your research output and its visibility from wherever you are, the first thing we really have to think about is investing in your academics to do research. It's not just going to happen. That's something that we have learned over the last 15 years and have been very deliberate about. So just as a, a context factor there, it might be interesting for you to note that in 2005, I think that something like 
55% of our academics did not have a master's or a doctoral qualification. Currently, that has now dropped to 6%. So we are now 94% of our staff do have either a master's or a doctoral qualification. And that is from deliberate efforts. And the deliberate effort was to have a number of programs to support staff getting um, their PhDs or their masters or their PhDs. And it's also about recruitment and a little more of that later. But also it's important as a second thought, if you like, important to incentivize academics to do research. Now, I know Professor Bauer said that we can detract from our other missions if we are doing that, but at UJ we like to think of it all as a whole. So research is but one of six pillars. Teaching is a very strong second one, the two together, because we see that these things are interlinked. Um, and I think it's important to do that and not see the one pulling away um, attention from the other. But in terms of incentivizing academics to do research, um, it's possible to do financial incentives, and I'll explain a little bit just now how we do that at UJ. But more than that, academics are also motivated by recognition. So it's important to recognize achievements and there can be um, electronic newsletters of faculties, for example, that um, showcase what their academics are doing in research that more people get to know about it. Um, there are university newsletters on research. All of those things contribute to people wanting to do more. And then of course, there are more formal systems. Um, it's important to be acknowledged from the top of the institution, um, from executive management and leadership. And we have vice chancellor's awards, for example, that recognize um, achievements in both teaching and research. And another thing is, if you're wanting individuals to actually undertake research, it's important to make sure that it's part of the job and that they will be rewarded for it. So for that reason, we put in research output targets, not only in our strategic plan, but also in performance management systems. Then of course, it's also important to realize you can't do everything if you're starting out on a research journey. The best thing is to consolidate the small areas of expertise that you might find within your institution. Consolidate them, start with flagship areas and try to build those by targeting them and directing resources into those in a very deliberate strategy and making sure that young emerging researchers are allied to those flagship areas that equipment is provided and such like, knowing that you can't do it for everything because it's just not possible. And then um, apart from that, researchers, need support. And it's very important to have good support systems within the institution. So to support the research program in general, and to keep academics informed about research opportunities, and this can be either at the faculty level or the, the institutional level, um, and to have somewhere in the institution that administers and coordinates research funding, and that collects the re research output data for both subsidy and rankings purposes. And we'll go into more of that just now. It's also important to remember that it, this actually 
the whole research endeavor is also allied to your postgraduate um, population. Again, at UJ, we didn't have a very big postgraduate um, cohort, if you like. We have built that up. It was also one of our strategic goals. We wanted to shift the balance of undergrad to postgraduate um, to 80-20. Uh, we are actually more than that at the moment. So we have been quite successful in that. But a lot of that is also very deliberate um, to provide with help to find bursaries and scholarship, scholarships, but also to assist postgraduates with all kinds of skills that they might need, research and writing skills, and also to train and support supervisors um, in supervision and to have fora where you can share those kinds of problems that you might be experiencing and so on. And then um, we also think that it's important to, and we'll talk about why we find rankings important um, shortly, but to increase research visibility through participating in the various global ranking systems. Just a little bit more about what UJ has done in, the, in those terms. I've said it quite generally now. So, but for example, I talked earlier about the DHET subsidy system for uh, research. So we get a subsidy for published research on the accredited list. Some institutions don't share that with individual academics and put it in a central pot. UJ has chosen to actually um, have a percentage for um, such that goes to individuals, which they can use um, for their own research or to hire younger researchers, etc. Um, others um, go towards the university for their whole research endeavor. We've also um, looked at prioritizing and funding resources, and, and I talked about that earlier, about when you're targeting certain things and actually developing your staff um, in, in that area. And we have a number of programs that are mentioned there to actually assist with that. We also realized that we have, while we don't have all of the academic staff we need to actually be able to feature on the ranking systems, we might need to actually invite staff in as postdoctoral research fellows, visiting professors, and so on, who can contribute to building up um, the research uh, endeavor at the institution. And as I mentioned earlier, we do have incentive schemes for academic staff to com complete their PhDs. We have graduated so many PhDs, either from UJ or other institutions, um, such that, as I mentioned, we have really changed the, the makeup of the, the academic um, staff complement. Then I think it's also important um, for institution as part of institutional support um, to have education and awareness campaigns and we do a lot of that. This is an example here from our library. Our library is very involved with running webinars and support things. This is one about how to use the sustainable development goals um, in your research, for example. Um, Professor Bauer talked about how some of the ranking systems may be somewhat blind to, to context um, and to social impact and all of those things, but those are issues that are very dear 
to the University of Johannesburg. So I have to confess a personal preference here and something that we're moving towards. We find that the Times Higher Education Impact Rankings suit us very well because they look at um, your impact in a social, economic, and political context in a whole variety of areas. And UJ has done remarkably well in that, as Lisa will show you just now. Um, and we think that that is not incompatible with our performing on the global ranking systems as well. Okay, and then um, my last before I hand over to Lisa. Um, further strategies that we've had to in, improve research output and visibility is we have a dedicated research office. It's driven by the DVC for Research, Innovation and Internationalization. And you will see that that's really also important to us. Um, we think that diversity is important and international outlook is important. And we um, couple that to research as well. We are very sophisticated. Um, research uh, collection systems that, that are in use. And I mentioned before that we have very specific targets at a strategic level. And um, the unit that um, Lisa and I are in actually manages the university strategic plan and all of its um, performance indicators in relation to that and a, a range of them, not just in research, but they are there. And of course, um, we will have a dedicated institutional planning office, planning office that's us, um, that coordinates the submission of data to the various rankings. And I have to say, this very deliberate strategy has paid off for UJ. If you look at just this little graphic here about the QS World University rankings, in the space of seven years, we've climbed 200 places, um, which we really enjoy um, seeing that. It gives us an external affirmation of all the efforts of all the individual people who have put in something to that. Yesterday, Lisa and I were doing a presentation for our Senate and explaining how everybody's individual contribution helps and how best they can actually tailor what they're doing to meeting our various institutional goals, but also the rankings goals. Um, and so I think that that little success story shows um, very much how a deliberate strategy can help. It has certainly, I think, helped the reputation of UJ. We heard Professor Bauer saying, oh, there, it's, it's, it's a breakthrough institution. Um, it was not an institution that was going to be happy being told, you just have a teaching mandate and just go and do that. Something important also about um, UJ is to understand that our students, um, by and large, in fact, almost all, come from very poor backgrounds. About 67% of them are in financial aid, um, which means that they come from very poor backgrounds. I think we provide meals for probably 8,000 of them twice a day. We've been sending them through the pandemic. We've had to provide devices for students so that they could carry on with remote learning in the pandemic. So I think one thing I think that is very important about UJ is actually the student is the center. It's not the researcher, it's the center. But within that, we have this research agenda. 
Now, also something that one of the deans said yesterday in the um, in Senate was that in this whole rankings business, there's so much noise. How do you filter out the noise and focus on what you need to focus on? And that's what I'm going to ask Lisa now to do, is to show us the noise and then show us how we focused a bit. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Joy, for the invitation to be here today and a uh, warm welcome to all the participants from wherever you are in the world. It's lovely to have you here for this conversation. Um, as an institutional researcher with the University of Johannesburg, um, I work at the ground level with the rankings portfolio and you know, coordinate the submission of the data. So what I'll be presenting here is a, a closer look at the rankings um, in, in a, a bit more detail. So just to give an overview of the various global ranking systems, um, in recent years, there's been a rapid uh, proliferation of an expansion of various global ranking systems, and they've just been cropping up in recent years with various subtypes and subsets. You know, some are regional, some are age-related, some are subject or discipline-specific. But they have just shown the images of um, most of the global ranking systems in existence at the moment. So you've got your Times Higher Education one, your QS World University rankings, which is the Quacarelli Simons one, your uh, Shanghai ranking, academic ranking of world universities, and of course there's the impact rankings, and there's a whole bunch of other ones there as well that you may have heard of. So you've got your URAP, your CWER, your Center for World University rankings, your multi-rank, Weber metrics, uh, the round university ranking. So there's a plethora of global ranking systems out there. So it can be quite daunting to know, uh, you know in which ones to participate and which ones to concentrate your efforts on and to focus all your energies into. Um, and of course, their rankings are controversial. You know, they have many limitations. Um, they don't take the national context and um, imperatives into consideration. Um, it's often said that they're imperfect measures. And there's also that entrenched reputation of centuries old universities that comes in. So whilst there's, and there's a whole bunch of other uh, criticisms and critiques about them, but nevertheless, they are here to stay and they are important and they have many advantages and benefits. And I just list a few here. So they help to enhance reputation of the university. They help to enhance the performance, um, improve quality. And these are things that uh, Prof Bauer and uh, Dr. Webstock have alluded to and spoken about as well. Um, they help in attracting national, international, um, external funding, um, in attracting your national and international academic staff, as well as international students, your top students. And it also helps to foster and build new national and international partnerships and collaborations, whether it be with other universities, um, academia, with government, industry, um, etc. So they're influential and they can influence. Um, they can influence whether a funding body decides to invest um, in your research at your university, whether a student chooses your university or a particular company or industry selects you as a partner or how your government measures research excellence for your university. So rankings influence and increase your university's reputation, visibility, and profile. 
participation. So um, our vice chancellor of the University of Johannesburg, Professor Shilitsi Marwala, he uh, penned an opinion piece in the Daily Maverick and he gave his perspective and he noted his opinion on why South Africa should take part in global university rankings. So this demonstrates the fact that we have this buy-in from our executive leadership and also um, it's driven by our leadership. And in that he mentions that for South Africa, we need to meet our social, political and economic objectives. And he says the reason we should participate is because ultimately we'll improve quality. And not only that, um, it allows for collaboration, enhanced collaboration and cooperation with universities. And as I said earlier, with academia in general, and it encourages universities to be competitive. And ultimately that pushes universities to become better and to implement best practice as um, Joy said earlier. So there's always that, um, you know, benefit to participating in global university rankings. And this was our VC's take on that. Um, so universities can actively participate in a variety of ranking systems and subscribe. Um, and these ones require universities to submit institutional data. And the data that they would ask for would be on student enrollment, um, graduate output, academic staff, financial income, etc. And the, those uh, global ranking systems that do ask you to submit data are the ones we've heard of now before. So your Times Higher Education, your QS World University rankings, there's also your multi-rank round university ranking, and then there's the Moscow University ranking system, which is a new one that's come up in recent years. So they request data and require active participation from universities. Universities also passively participate um, and feature in other global ranking systems because they wholly use external third party data sources. So they will only use, um, for instance, bibliometric research data from either Elsevier Scopus database or Clarivate's Web of Science um, database for all the research related metrics. There's also survey data that's collected from academics and employers for the reputation metrics that we see um, in the rankings. So those are academics and employers offering their perspectives and opinions on the universities. There's also awards data, things like they crop up in um, your Shanghai ranking, the, the number of alumni or academic staff with Nobel prizes and Fields medals. Um, so that kind of thing. And then some web data and other reference data. Um, and in addition to these um, ranking systems in which you can either actively participate in or passively feature in, there are some newer ranking systems that have cropped up um, over the past year or two, and they are merely a composite or aggregate of already existing global ranking systems. Um, and those ones are the Applied Higher Education um, Rankometer and uh, the R2 aggregate ranking of top universities. And they simply do a composite of the, the three or four or five top uh, ranking systems and they generate a new ranking system based on those results. So just to note, it's free to participate in and subscribe to global ranking systems. Um, there's no cost to universities, um, but it's important to know that if you decide uh, to subscribe and opt in, 
uh, for instance, in one global ranking system, the QS one, you can't opt out. So just think about that carefully before making that decision. Because um, if you do not opt out, there's an instance within South Africa with the Stellenbosch University in which they will still rank you anyway. And in those cases, they use externally available third-party data, or they apply some kind of averaging or approximation. And that may not be an accurate representation or a true reflection of your university. So there are some uh, you know, negative aspects to participating in it if you don't subscribe and, and opt in and engage. So UJ's participation in the global ranking system. So we active, actively participate in a number of global ranking systems and we submit data towards these. And they are the QS World University Rankings and we've participating in that one since 2013. Um, the Times Higher Education World University Rankings since 2016 and the Round University Rankings since 2017. Uh, we were also among the first universities in the world to participate in the inaugural or pilot edition of the Times Education Impact Rankings in 2019. And that is a ranking that is quite different from the traditional ranking systems that are focusing on certain missions, which are within the research and teaching um, areas and interna internationalization areas. This one focuses on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and universities' contributions in um, achieving those goals. And in the recent one that was released this year, UJ was ranked in the top 100 in the world for the overall impact ranking. And in one particular SDG, in one particular sustainable development goal, we were ranked in fact number one in the world for SDG 8 on decent work and economic growth. So there are ranking systems out there. They don't just look at research, but they focus on social impact and societal contribution and sustainability. And that's evidenced here by the THE impact rankings. So in looking at the global ranking systems, they cover four main areas. So the first of which is teaching. And there they would look at teaching reputation, employer reputation, um, staff-student ratio, doctoral graduates, um, alumni with Nobel Prizes and Fields Medals. That's the kind of thing that's considered under the teaching area. Then next we have the research area. They will look at research reputation, citations, um, citation impact, um, looking at the field weighted citation impact or the category normalized citation impact. You may have heard of those terms. And also looking at the number of publications. So that was looking at quality um, and influence of your publications. And then you also look at merely the productivity or the quantity. So the number of publications in journals indexed by Scopus database, which is for Times High Education and QS, they look at the Scopus database or the publications in journals indexed by the Web of Science core collection database, which is used by the Shanghai ranking. And the Shanghai ranking also looks at the publications in nature and science journals and highly cited researchers and staff with Nobel prizes and fields medals. The third ranking area is internationalization, and that simply looks at the proportion of international staff, the proportion of international students, as well as international research collaboration and co-authorship. 
And then the fourth one is to do with funding. So the, the overall institutional income of a university, but importantly, the research income and the research income that they garner from industry and commerce. So a bit of a closer look into each of the global ranking systems and their methodologies, which I'll just go through very quickly. So you've got QS and QS, which is the Quacarelli simons uh, ranking, has six rankings indicators or parameters. And you see the biggest one there is academic reputation, which is 40%. And that is dependent on um, a survey sent out to academics with their perspectives and views on the academic aspects of an institution. Then the next one is each at 20% or your faculty student ratio and citations per faculty. And then we come a bit lower to employee reputation at 10% and then international faculty and international students each with 5%. Times Higher Education has a slightly different methodology that's based on five pillars with 13 rankings indicators across those five pillars. And those five pillars are the teaching pillar that counts 30%, the research one also 30%. And note that QS and THE both use Elsevier Scopus database for all the research related metrics. Um, the other one pillar in THE is the citations one, which looks at citation impact or more specifically, the field weighted citation impact also at 30%. And all the international outlook stuff for international diversity, um, is 7.5%, and that encompasses the international staff and international students and the collaboration with international authors. And then 2.5% dedicated to the research income from industry. And the Shanghai ranking has six rankings indicators, and there they look at a few different things. So they look at alumni awards, um, and those are the awards that the alumni of the institution have received um, and those being the Nobel Prizes or Fields Medals. Then you also have the staff awards, so staff winning awards, um, and those also are the Nobel Prizes or Fields Medals at 20%. They look at the highly cited researchers. They look at publications in nature and science journals, publications indexed in the Web of Science um, database. So looking at two particular citation indices there, um, the SCIE stands for the Science Citation Index Expanded, and the SSCI is the Social Sciences Citation Index. So it's looking at publications in the sciences and the social sciences. And of these, we can see um, that we have the, the research metrics. So here, QS, 20% is dedicated to research, which is your citations per faculty. In THE, we see quite a larger chunk is dedicated to research. So overall, you can see it's about 65%. That's quite a lot dedicated to research. Um, and then for your Shanghai ranking, again, 60%. So a lot of that um, is relying on all the research metrics and the research visibility and the research output of universities. So what are the key research parameters for rankings? We went over it. And we can go into a few things a bit more detail about strategies involved. So the first of which is simply research productivity. And that's how productive um, an institution is. So in terms of research, um, the quantity of research output. So the ones across those um, ranking systems there that we looked at were the number of publications um, in journals indexed by Elsevier Scopus database. 
that's in the THE ranking. And then the number of publications and journals indexed by Clarivate's Web of Science Core Collection database in those two citation indices that I mentioned, that's in the Shanghai ranking. And then we also have the number of publications in the Nature and Science journals. Then the next one is the research quality and impact. And there they look at the influence of your publication. So the number of citations or the citation impact measured by the field weighted citation impact metric. Now the field weighted citation impact is basically a ratio of the citations that a publication receives um, against the average in the world that is um, generated. So if you have a field weighted citation impact of one, then you have a, an impact which is equal to the world average. If the field weighted citation impact is let's say 1.2, then you have um, a citations impact that is 20% better than the world average. And ultimately um, that tells us that it's better than that world average. Um, then the next thing we have is highly cited researchers. And those are the highly cited researchers on Clarivate's um, highly cited researchers list that they produce annually in November. And then the other one is the international research collaboration, which is incredibly important. And that looks at the proportion of publications with international co-authorship. Now, just to go into a few strategies involved here, one such strategy in terms of improving research visibility and uh, Dr. Webstock and Prof. Bauer have mentioned a few of these, is looking at the recruitment um, and attraction of highly cited researchers, for instance, or top tier researchers, um, and a focused targeted recruitment. Um, the other aspect is, of course, retaining of staff. So the retention of staff and fostering and building that within the institution um, that are on that pathway um, to being a highly cited researcher. There's also um, enhanced um, awareness and training campaigns that Dr. Webstock mentioned previously. So um, allowing your academics to have a deeper and greater understanding of these ranking systems, the bibliometrics that are involved, and how it contributes to their overall research profile um, in terms of all these aspects. So the field weighted citation impact of the publications. In some cases, it's the H index. Um, these are all things that help build and grow a researcher's institutional research profile. Um, also, there's the use of institutional uh, repositories that can um, improve research visibility. So things like uh, Figshare is one platform that you could use to share your research output more widely to a larger audience. Um, the other thing that you consider is, of course, assisting your academics in um, doing the researcher online profile. So setting that up and the library assist with that. So building those online researcher profiles, which are your Google Scholar, your researcher ID, your ORCID online profiles, and also having a footprint in, the, in social media. So um, in Twitter, in Facebook, in LinkedIn, in Mendeley, in, in Academia Edu, um, all of those are great platforms 
for academics to share and disseminate their research and enhance and increase their research visibility. So these are all aspects that contribute to that. In terms of the research quality and impact, the other thing is to publish in high impact journals or reputable journals. And that's something that Joy mentioned earlier. Um, but that's quite important, but which journal should they be publishing in? And that's something that we assist the academics with by showing them the various lists. So that's one aspect is in what Dr. Webstock mentioned was the DHET um, accredited journal list. But the other things that you could look at would be to look at the impact factor of journals. And you could do that through the Web of Science database where they have journal citation reports, which generate the, um, the journal impact factor of journals. And there you can look at those journal impact factors and that can guide you into the decision in which journals to publish and where you should be publishing. Um, in terms of the Scopus database, we have the, um, the source um, normalized impact uh, per paper, otherwise called SNP, and that's available at the Scopus sources. And that also gives you an idea as to which journals um, are rated more highly in terms of the citation impact. So those are all the various things that you could look at as an institution and assist your academics with in determining which journals to publish in order to increase that research visibility, in order to increase and generate more citations from their publications. So those were just a few ideas and the list can go on and on and on because there are many and several ways of um, and, and, and putting in strategies in place to improve uh, research visibility and increasing um, citations. And that all feeds into and assists with the rankings. As you can see it covered in the methodologies that they very heavily focused on research and dedicated to those research metrics. Um, so with everything I've discussed, I thought it would be nice to, um, to provide, it would be useful to have a slide dedicated to various links. So I have links there to the methodologies for uh, the ranking systems, the global ranking systems that were mentioned uh, today, those top three ones, the QS, Times Higher Education and Shanghai Rankings, um, Academic Ranking Award Universities. And then we also have a link to our national uh, DHEADS accredited journal list which guides our academics um, in making that decision, as well as the 2021 Clarivate Web of Science Master Journal List. And that provides the entire list within the Web of Science Core Collection database of journals in which to publish, in particular in those um, uh, two citation indices that the Shanghai ranking focuses on. And there's the link to that. In terms of the impact factor of journals, you could look at the journal impact factor in the journal citation reports, and there's the link, or the Scopus perspective being the source normalized impact per paper or SNP, and the link to that. And for further information on the highly cited researchers list, there's the link to the 2020 version. And of course, later on this year in November, there will be the announcement and release of the 2021 um, highly cited researchers list, which we're eagerly awaiting on. Um, so that's me, and I just want to thank everyone today that's been here. Um, it's been a pleasure 
being available and having this conversation with you. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Lisa. Uh, that was a very insightful presentation. It gave us an overview of what you need to do as an institute in order to make sure that you are ready to start taking part in the rankings. And it is, it is work. Like that's what I'd said from the beginning. It is work. It's a lot of investment, strategic, uh, uh, strategic and deliberate uh, in investment in supporting your academic community. And more importantly, what came out very clearly the, is the root, the root aspect of it is smart or general selection strategy. If you support your researchers on where to publish, uh, and when you're talking about high impact journals, we are looking at journals that are already indexed. Let's, let's be clear about that. Lisa, you may stop sharing. So we're looking at journals that are already indexed. So what is very clear is that the, the, the ranking institutions collate data, collate data from um, uh, citation analytical databases. So far, they're only working with um, Web of Science from Clarivate Analytics and uh, Scopus from Elsevier. Though this is a, a cause for, for debate because there are now many uh, databases that are coming up, especially open access databases, which are being used uh, actively in the Global South, which are meeting the same international uh, uh, standards in, in maintaining and managing um, the, the quality of data that is being pulled in. There is a cause for concern from researchers that so far the, the ranking institutions, the main ranking institutions are still using the two predominant uh, unfortunately, paywalled uh, um, citation databases. But if you take a step back, whether you're looking at the citation database or not, when you're looking at the general selection strategy, which is the root supporting system on, on where your researchers need to publish, it means that the, pub, the researchers need to publish in journals that are already indexed. Okay, the journals that are indexed in Scopus and that are indexed in uh, uh, Web of Science by Clarivate Analytics are also indexed in any of the, the international citation databases that have come up. So if you're able to have a good journal selection strategy and you're supporting your academic community, you'll be able to support the entire system that will help in producing good quality research output and also with the ripple effect of um, with the ripple effect of also increasing the visibility of, 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 of your institution, also with better performance within the ranking institutions. So we've been seeing some questions uh, coming in in the question and answer panel. Uh, some of them have been answered by, the, uh, by our speakers, but there's a comment by Christian, Christian uh, Van der Meer, I hope I pronounced it properly. And she says, um, as far as I know, I'm quoting, the larger ranking methodologies hinge on a reputation survey by academics mostly based in the global north. Would it not be better for African universities to set up a continental ranking system that takes account of our circumstances and needs? I will give that question to Professor Bauer. What do you think of that? There's a need to have a regional ranking system that would be unique to um, the, the geopolitical dynamics within the continent, looking at language and also the, the type of research that is being produced here. So what are your views on that? 
Yeah, I, I think that that is it's a critical question. It's an important question, uh, but it also raises uh, big, you know, the big point, you know, that uh, whether uh, we should have a system that really uh, focuses in on uh, us comparing ourselves with each other rather than uh, to see ourselves as part of the global, you know, the global system, if you like. It seems to me at least that the, the more effective way of addressing this really important question is to think about how we might influence the, um, uh, influence the ranking system. So the Times Higher Education Impact uh, Ranking System uh, didn't kind of just you know, emerge uh, out of nothing. It really came from massive engagement, you know, both from the Global South in particular in uh, environments like uh, UNESCO, uh, you know, UNESCO enterprise, the Guni enterprise, so on. <clears throat> so it seems to me at least that uh, it might well be more effective for us to think about, um, it, about strategic ways in which we can influence the global, the global ranking systems rather than to think about something that's, uh, that's really uh, kind of uh, developed internally, if you like. Yeah. The question, of course, the big question is what would be the purpose of that, right? If it's just totally internal to our continent. And then one might ask, you know, what about uh, you know a system that's uh, that's that's nationally kind of constructed, if you like. Um, so, you know, what I would say, what I would say is that it might be more effective for us to think about using these uh, multilateral, big multilateral discussions to influence the way in which these ranking systems are are constructed. I, I hope that that's it's a very personal view, but I hope that that's useful. Things are very, not only are they controversial, but they're extremely personal, especially if you're doing well, it's, it's, a, it's a cause to celebrate. If you're not being featured anywhere, it's always a cause for concern. So it's a very personal uh, uh, process. But uh, one of the participants has said that he feels that instead of making it regional, we need to compete globally. Uh, we should be able to put ourselves out there to compete with other institutions, despite some of the challenges that we have in the continent. So Philippa Benson uh, said that as the, as the launch and former managing editor for, this, for Sciences Advances, which is an open access journal and a professional having led for many different high quality journals and decades, um, she wonders if you could clarify why under research productivity productivity, you've got listed just nature and science journals. Nature has dozens of journals with a range of selectivity. Science has six core journals, each managed differently. Uh, STM journal editors and publishers often stress how selecting a place to publish based on impact factor is not a sound way to make a critical decision. Can you clarify why? This one would go to either Lisa or um, Denise. Lisa, would you want to answer that? Yes, so the reason why um, it looks specifically at science and nature journals, and it's just those two journals, is because that is what the Shanghai ranking looks at. So they have that particular metric that where the weighting is 20%, where they only take those number of publications in those two specific journals. They've made a concerted effort to look at those two for their various reasons. 
I know that within the science sphere of publications, there are a family of science publications or sister publications, likewise for nature. So there are a whole range of sister publications within the nature group, um, but they don't look at those. So they just look at nature and science. And this has been um, a discussion that we've had numerous times internally within the University of Johannesburg to get a better understanding of that. Uh, because it's always, do we look at the entire family and, and uh, the entire nature group of publications or just the nature publication on its own? And um, that is what that particular ranking looks at. So if your idea is to further yourself in the Shanghai ranking, if that is uh, part of your strategy or, or part of uh, how you would like to consider putting in place strategies to further yourself in that ranking, then yes, you would look at simply those two specific journals. And I agree with the sentiment that, you know, a strategy of just looking at high impact journals um, is not, you know, a preferential one. Um, you have to take that in conjunction with a whole variety of other strategies. The idea is just to encourage academics, at least within our institution, to think more thoughtfully about the journals they're publishing in. And it, it needn't be the, the highest ranked journal um, or the most influential reputable journal that has the highest impact factor. It's merely a guideline to say to academics, look, this is what we have with the rankings. These are the methodologies. These are the criteria. And in order to you know, improve that and enhance that, here are the list of journals that have high impact factors or are indexed in Scopus or are indexed in Web of Science or are on our national DHEAD accreditation list. Look at those before making a decision in which journal to publish. So think more thoughtfully about it. Um, and that's the whole idea behind it. We're not saying you are just governed by the fact that you have to pick the, the, the one with the highest impact factor and publish in that journal. It also differs across disciplines. So what you would see for you know, the hard sciences versus the social sciences and the humanities, there's going to be a different viewpoint. So you have to take all of those schools of thought into consideration before making that decision. Thank you so much, Lisa. And uh, I have another question from Anne Schumann Dawson. And she says, and I agree with her, I find the use of journal impact factor and journal, journal ranking metrics problematic as it leads to a confusion between the outreach of a journal and its quality. As academic journals from, uh, from Africa, Latin America, uh, Southeast Asia are hardly recorded in the Web of Science uh, Citation Database. So basically it means that the researchers must publish in journals based in the global north. These journals often regard African focused topics as too niche or too regional. And, and yes, you're right. Um, and in, in that regard, I also have some concerns because they tend to be very, uh, this re the requirement of journal impact factor is very global north centric. And even though, even though uh, uh, the, the web of science has come up with the emerging cite citation Sources Citation Index, which is supposed to target, uh, um, it, it, it's more like a regional da uh, a, a database where it brings in the, the, the latest journals coming out of the periphery. When I say the periphery, you're looking at Africa, Latin America, and Southeast Asia. It still is not calculated. The, the, the information in the 
uh, emerging sources citation index is not calculated uh, in um, in, in, in rankings, because what they look at is the core collection. So yes, they, it is a bit of a double-edged sword because it's necessary, it's a ranking, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a metric system that has been there for a while, though it is being questioned right now, but with time, I believe there'll be change on a better way to, to include journals that are coming in from the region. So Professor Bao, would you like to, add to that as well your your mute yeah, yeah, yes yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you yeah um yeah no, I, I think i think Choi, you you've you know you've nailed it i think i mean uh, it's, it does seem to me that uh one of the big challenges we face as you know as 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 our continent at least is uh to try and understand that uh, you know that the ranking systems are really designed for uh, you know, designed in the global north for the global north. You know, and that uh, and that there's a need for us to understand that uh, there's uh, going to be, in fact, uh, there yeah, there is, and there's going to be sort of a a, a growing thrust of uh, kind of a growing proliferation, if you like, of venues for publishing. You know, I, I have a little story which I can share with you, which is that um, uh, uh, at the University of uh, Natal, where uh, where Dr. Webstock and I worked uh, some years ago. Uh, it was a professor of surgery whose name was uh, a Professor Hafeji, who, um, uh, who who decided that what he would do is uh, uh, that he would, he, he, so, so let me just take a step back. He worked on uh, on the cancer of the, of the throat, uh, of the esophagus at least, um, uh, in a particular part of South Africa. Uh, because it was a major issue in that part of South Africa. So what he decided that he was going to do was uh, he would, uh, you know, for, in, uh, for every 10 articles that he published on this topic, nine would be published in the local journal and one would be published in the international journal. I mean, so, it just, uh, so it's really this uh, idea that there's a tension, right, between, uh, you know, what is the purpose of the research you are doing and, uh, you know, and then, of course, the need for global... Uh, you know, for global uh, uh, recognition, if you like, or for global exposure, uh, the idea of taking knowledge that's produced in the local context and 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 contributing to global knowledge, if you like. So, so it's this. Uh, there's a tension here, and I think that we have to understand that there's this tension, and and it seems to me, at least, that you know, we can do one of two things. You know, we can just accept these ranking systems as they are and just kind of live with them or we can begin to influence them you know we can begin to kind of really work with them uh, and i again i refer to the impact uh, you know the, the times uh, the impact uh, ranking uh, that came directly out of engagements i mean so it's uh, it seems to me that that might be the route for us to take but it's a critical question Thanks. I like the idea that we, we can also influence. So you see, we're already showing them some of the, the loopholes or the pitfalls that are not being um, uh, identified. And so with time, I believe we are going to be influenced, we'll be further influencing some the, the ranking institutions such that they are friendly to research coming out of the global south. Now, dear University of Johannesburg colleagues, so I'll, I'll, I'll have Denise uh, answer this. How has the university industry relations fared with UJ in terms of funding, collaborative research, inventions? So we are looking at patents, 
com and community development. Do you submit uni industry, uh, university industry collaboration data as well? So Denise and also Lisa can answer this. Uh, thank you for the question. Just before I answer it, I, I'm in broad agreement with what Professor Bauer is saying and what the colleagues are saying about these particular global ranking systems are indeed uh, biased towards the North. We see it in, for example, the criteria about Nobel Prizes, and we see that some alumnus who was a Nobel Prize winner in 1922 still gets counted every year and influences the ranking outcome. And so it prejudices new institutions who went around then. Um, that's definitely true. And I do think that um, even the surveys, for example, on which academic reputation is based, and are, we have a very, very small footprint in those. Although we, we can submit names to that, it's a very small proportion of those who are surveyed. So there is merit in saying, how do we influence those? Um, I don't know to what extent we will be able to do that because this is an entire world picture. I, as I said earlier, I'm much more in favor of um, the, the Times Higher Education Impact Rankings because I think that is so relevant to our context and what we do and what we strive for as an institution. Now that aside now, about, the question was about UJ and the university industry relations. So we have in our strategic plan, we do measure, for instance, um, our research uh, or industry income. We have seen that uh, grow tenfold in the period. And that is part of what um, Lisa was explaining in the, in the ranking system about industry income. We've also uh, measured the patents and that has gone up. But we're also hugely, as UJ, um, focused on community engagement. So setting up schools on our Soweto campus where we can go and um, practice the research that we do in real um, situations. So I think that that has um, actually contributed to the role as well. And it certainly helped us in the impact rankings because we have a very strong footprint in that. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Webster. Now we are winding up and this has been a very interesting session. Um, and a lot of thought has been put to the presentations, particularly when it comes to the kind of work that needs to be done in order, to, in order for a university to start getting involved in, 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 in some of the rankings. As you can see, um, it is just not only a commitment to the researchers or the academic community, but working closely with the leadership. If the leadership is not involved in this process, it is going to be a one-way uh, one process. And unfortunately, you'll not get the desired results. We've also noted that the rankings are, the, the kind of, the way in which they collate the data is, is a bit biased and a bit, it's rather Global North centric. But from what we've learned, from what we've learned, instead of taking a step back, we can influence those rankings and make them, make sure that they're able to meet our needs. Because at the end of the day, university, uh, university rankings are here to stay. 
even though they are flawed with biased indicators, the fact they are the fact that they are over a hundred university ranking option means that universities have options to choose what ranking system suits them. So you have options to work with. And the rise of university ranking gatekeepers, such as the, the, the IREG Observatory on Academic uh, Ranking and Excellence, which is known as IREG Observatory, are, are, making, um, are, are leading in the awareness of rankings, which is essential for universities and also uh, higher education specialists. So specialists. So IREG Observatory, as I said, which is a gatekeeper for rankings, is an institutional non-profit association for ranking organizations, universities, and other bodies in university ranking and academic excellence. Its purpose is strengthening um, of public awareness and understanding of range of issues related to university rankings and academics um, excellence. So what that means today is that ranking institutions have to be audited by IREG. So despite the fact that there are over a hundred uh, uh, ranking institutions, there is, there is now a regulatory body monitoring how they perform. And some of these concerns we are raising definitely come to go to this regulatory body. And that is why Professor Bauer was saying, instead of getting concerned and maybe complaining, we can influence these rankings such that they, they meet our needs, especially for those of us in the global south, especially those of us who, are not come, who do not come from English speaking countries. And for those of us whose uh, region centric research has an impact on the research on the region, not necessarily globally, but still needs to be visible and be measured as an output coming out of the region and hence also increasing the visibility coming out of the region. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, I really thank you so much for having made time to come for our webinar. I really thank our speakers who, who, who took time to, to prepare for this webinar and share their experience. And also the Knowledge E team, who we are working closely with in supporting universities and higher education uh, systems in Sub-Saharan Africa on how they can improve their research excellence in preparation for university rankings. As you can see, just from what Ms. Bonet and Dr. Webstock have presented to us, it takes work. It really, really takes work. It's quite a bit of work. And sometimes universities have the capacity to do it. Sometimes they do not. And we are here to help. We are two research capacity institutes that are here to support universities on how they can improve their research excellence and the best practice on how they can improve their research output and their visibility such that when they start taking part in the rankings, they are ready to compete with uh, with partners, whether within the continent uh, or uh, with, uh, uh, with partners in the global north. As we are winding up, please uh, 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 go through this QR code and complete the survey and tell us your views on the workshop. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I really thank you for your time. It has been an honor. 
And Professor Bauer, we really apologize. It is very early in the morning in New York as we are winding the, as we are closing the day on this side of the world. And all our participants, we had participants from Germany, from the UK, uh, from France, uh, from various countries in Africa. I thank you so much for having made time to take part in our webinar. With that, ladies and gentlemen, do have a lovely day and goodbye. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Mazam Gunzo Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on all our channels for more updates and for candid stories by researchers, policymakers, higher education leaders, and innovators on their journeys. See you in our next episode.